another edition of the Deeper Dive podcast produced locally in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. here at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in the Plate of Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell, joined once again by Father Larry Swing. Hey, Bill. And Father Jack Berard. Hey, Bill. Uh, today we're going to continue our um, series on, the, on, uh, on Philosophers of the Enlightenment. Today we're going to talk about Kant and Feuerbach. Father Jack's going to say it much better than I. Or at least uh, with a better accent. Absolutely. Father Larry. Okay, great. So once again, we are looking at uh, key thinkers that ruin the way we think today. <laughs> that, that is what we should have been calling this whole series. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got a ring to it. Yeah. Yeah. Bad philosophy. And uh, the point we're trying to, you know, convey to our listeners is that the current condition of thinking can be, you know, not all of it, but a lot of it is bad philosophy, which is the art of thinking. And uh, so we're going to start with Feuerbach. It sounds like a beer, yeah. but it was a man that came up with a bad way of thinking. It's an ale, Father. He, it's he, an ale, Feuerbach ale. He in, Yeah, he in fact was a male uh, and not a beer, which he probably would have been more useful as what a beer. What was his first name? Ludwig. Ludwig yeah. Feuerbach. So this is, I mean. So he's a musician too then. Yeah, yeah. Or at least comes from, this is, this is the funny part is like, you know, reading up on him a little bit more uh, and like his history and his dad was really famous, right? And, and they say as, as good as Feuerbach or as influential as he was in the philosophical world and Feuerbach, like everybody who you hate in the like 20th century and late, late 19th century, you know, Marx and, and Sartre and all these guys, like they're all influenced by Feuerbach. Like he's a really like unknown, but very, very influential thinker. Right. Mm. And, um, and, but his dad was just as influential in German law, which just says he comes from good thinking stock. Right. And I was shocked to read, um, cause anybody knows much about Germany is that, you know, everyone thinks of Germany as a Protestant nation and for good reason, cause of Luther and, and you know, all that, but you know, th- it's actually a very divided country. It's very, it's extremely Catholic in the South in Bavaria. And, uh, and now we've, the German bishops are just kind of almost near schism, right? Probably because of Feuerbach. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it is necessarily, but yeah, maybe. Because um, now, when you hear the German bishops have said something, you're like, uh oh, what yeah, they say I now? Know, I know. And then like say something right, and you're like, huh? Really? You said that? Yeah. And it's funny because like two of the better, you know, theologians in the church over the last, you know, at the time have been German. I mean, Joseph Ratzinger is, you know, he comes from somewhere. He comes from Bavaria in Germany, right? And even um, Cardinal Mueller. Right, who is the right. former head of the the CDF is you know again a German uh, thinker theologian, but um, his father was a a Lutheran and was so good at law that he actually took over law in Bavaria, right? So a Protestant taking over the Catholic part of Germany, that's not a thing, <laughs> you know, right. in 19th century. So, so um, what was he all about, Father Jack? So he's he's all about. I mean, he basically takes what um what we talked about before in terms of um in terms of how to how one uh, thinks and especially with Hume. And and takes it even further, right? So, um, you know, Hume had this you know very empirical sense of, of thinking, but you know now we now we had to apply it because Hume just said, all right, this is there's this empirical sense of the world, and from there we'll just reject God. And Feuerbach yeah. says, well, that's not totally true because it's not that God doesn't exist; it's just that how we think of God is completely wrong, <laughs> right? So, so Feuerbach was actually closer to a a deist, right? So which has a very very particular meaning, and and anybody who does serious study of U.S. history will understand that word, right? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Deist. I mean, I think I, I think a lot of our George Washington, fathers. maybe. Yeah, probably, and and I I wouldn't even say Franklin for some reason. Franklin. I mean, none of these guys like 
they didn't have a truly supernatural understanding right. of God. They believed that God was real, but that he was this clockmaker. He was very distant. Right. Right. So it's very unchristian understanding of God. Is it a form of agnosticism? Uh, it's a form of it, but maybe it not so much as it is understood modern, right? Because right. modern agnosticism is like, we can't know that God even exists. These guys are like, no, God definitely exists. You'd have to be right. stupid to deny God's existence. You know, all you got to do is look into the world. But he doesn't care about us, right? right. So it's an agnosticism in, in the, you can't have a personal relationship with them. Right. right? So God, Just made the world and like, all right, good luck. Yeah, peace out. I've done my duty. You're on your own. Uh, don't, call, don't talk to me. Don't call me. I'll call you. You know, and, and that's kind of how it was, right? And, and Which Fierbach, is totally not Christian. Oh, wildly unchristian, right? Um, and and Fierbach, I mean, he takes that, um, you know, obviously to a, to such an extreme that he actually says, but it's not that the the Christian idea, and this is where this is where things are are sneaky, right? It's not that the Christian ideal of God is completely wrong. It is wrong objectively. God as God is this clockmaker. He's out there, but this Christian ideal of God that we know all of his personal characteristics of God. Uh, that he is merciful, that he is good, that he is a judge, that he is um, all-knowing. This is actually just human projection onto this being. So it's it's this idealized vision of man is what we call God, right? So it's all-knowing, all-perfect, all you know, existing everywhere, right? All of these attributes that we apply Which to God. Which is true. Which... In some ways. I mean, no, it's not true what he said. Of course. But God is perfection. Exactly. But... It's, and, and, okay, sorry. But that's no, no, no. That's exactly it. Is that he? It, he's like it's this interesting moment where he's so close, <laughs> but instead of saying, you know, God is a completely separate being who has all of these attributes, all these perfections, because God is perfection, itself, which a human person is striving for, is striving for and wants and desires, and it's built into the human heart. He says, no, that that what we understood as part of our natural theology of, of, of this desire for God is built into the human heart. He says, no, it's not that it's built into the human heart because there's a separate being. It's that we're just smart enough to project our desire onto a being that doesn't really exist. So, mm. so it's, um, it's this, I am so in need of something else that I'm going to project this image outward. Right. So it's, it's, and which makes it very difficult to deny because how do you disprove, you know, something like that? Um, and but it and which and, is like where Karl Marx comes with the opium opium religion is the opium of the masses. For, for the this masses. is where Nietzsche comes through with his Ubermensch that we'll talk about next week and um, all of these things and even um, leads to a lot of the atheism that we will see later on is that well wait a second if God's not a personal God then he's no God right you know that's what's we're at if God if God doesn't answer and this is where you hear oftentimes I would argue is God doesn't answer every single one of my prayers, therefore he must not be real, right? So, so Feuerbach doesn't believe there's no God, or does he believe there's a God? He does not believe, he would not believe in the Christian God, okay. for sure. Gotcha. Um, he would believe in a very impersonal God, which, I mean... Like a creator. Yeah, he, he would believe, yeah, like, I mean, he would... Like Freemasons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, you know, that would be a great <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah, maybe down the road. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, because because that would we wouldn't be very careful with that one. But um, but the it would be a, a you know just a, a very foreign thing to us, right? You ever I mean you ever talk to people who have done AA, right? And right. and they have this. There has to be a a, a greater power, right? I remember uh, talking to this higher people, power, a higher power, right? Yeah. And um, 
you know, they'll talk about, you know, the Christ, the Catholics in the group are like, I mean, obviously this is, this is God and this is, you know, he goes, but then they have these people who refuse to acknowledge God and they'll talk about the doorknob is yeah. a higher power, right? Yeah. Firebox. Okay. With that. And you're projecting anyway, why not project under the doorknob? Right. Know? Um, so God, God is, but he has nothing to do with you. He doesn't care. And then this is where it gets dangerous. No, that's not where it gets dangerous. It's already dangerous. But uh, one of the problems is then he doesn't care about what you do. Right. So not only it's not just like he's impersonal when it comes to prayer, he's impersonal through and through. He's not there to save you. He's not there to judge you. He's not there to condemn you. He's not there to bring you into eternal beatitude. He is done his duty. Right. And, and therefore you can do whatever you want. Exactly. But this is where, this is kind of the, the kind of amazing thing that, that, um, gets picked up on, right. Is that it's not, but he doesn't necessarily fall into hopelessness, right. Because he thinks he turns this, the whole movement of, of philosophy and, and of religion towards what we, we now refer to as humanism, right. So the, it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, this, he, you know, you probably in philosophical speak, if you were an atheist, you would say this is the difference between uh, geocentrism and heliocentrism. So the earth is the center of the universe. Well, now we've moved it to the sun is, which is, you know, so that's where he's going. He goes, every, every philosophy up until this point has put God at the center. Man right. is right there with him. But now God has been removed. And so now we're moving man to the very center of all philosophy and religion. That's where Earth Day comes from. Okay, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's not true, probably. But that was but, a big jump. But uh, yeah, I was to say, I think we're, I think you missed about three levels, not just a couple of steps to get I'm there. I'm sorry, I took a dive. Yeah, you did, and uh, off the high dive. Um, so, but he has this he has this great quote of what what his purpose is, right? In terms of because because it's not that it's all evil, right? He doesn't believe that we we have no purpose in life and we become hedon, you know, hedonistic, right? Do what we want. Um, but he says that he calls for the conversion of the friends of God into the friends of man, believers into thinkers, worshipers into workers, candidates for the other world into students of this world, Christians who are on their own confession, half animal and half angel into men, whole men, right? So he, he's calling for the rejection of the supernatural vision, right? Mm -hmm. This ability to have a higher state in which we are, are called to and aiming towards and to just work for the now, right? We begin to see the utopia that is developed like in later thinkers, this earthly focus, um, but un kind of with the protection of the church. It's not, this is where it gets scary is that it's really not all evil, right? It's not something I have to reject all of it if I, if I haven't really quite, if I'm not very solid in it, right? Like, cause he's not getting to the point of later thinkers who not only um, want you to not believe in God, but they want you to not be good, right? right? Like Feuerbach's at this point where he's like, well, I mean, whether you believe in God or not, you should be good and you should right. work for man. Yeah, good intentions, quote unquote. I, he Maybe. thought he did, thought right? he but they did. all do. I mean, they all they think all they do. I think, but, but I think we can objectively say these are bad intentions, right? He wants to get rid of supernatural thought. Now, I, I realize it's a podcast and I could take a, a wrong turn here, but <laughs> in terms of worship, you know, because you were, you were, that quote talked about, what was that again? Turn worshipers into what? Into workers. Workers. Yeah. I mean, can you say that's kind of happened sometimes even within the church where the focus is more on man than God? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I mean, like now, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, is could you say indirectly, very indirectly, mm -hmm. this is sort of 
a little for Bakian, you know, where, you know, the idea is the focus is not so much on God, theocentric, but on, on the worshipers. So, so I would say, I mean, yes and no. Okay. I, I would say that um, Fjordbach, it's not so much that he has affected necessarily churchmen, right? Bishops and priests, but rather he has shifted the common ground, right? right? So that it's no, now it's about humanism. Right. Yes. So, and that's what we're seeing today. And that's what we're seeing. Oh yeah. It's all over the church. Right. Um, I mean, give some, uh, what would be some examples from your perspective, Father Jack, where you see this sort of, um, you know, from forward back, this humanism today where the focus is not on God, but on human to a point where it's detrimental. Well, uh, can I chime in real quick? I'll sure, tell you right sure. now, I'm going to get crushed for this too. All right. Um, deeper dive. Uh, these churches that, that who's, who's, who are praise and worship music centered? Mm. It's I mean I, I mean I know I have several friends in in you know in in music ministry quote unquote at um at some of these churches you know that have stages instead of altars yep. and it make no mistake that that service is about them and their performance yeah there were you know when when you know, thank God the, the term set list has never crept into Sacred Heart or, um, you know, things like that. So, I mean, that's that's just. Yeah. And, and, but that's, and, and you know, the, the deeper level of that is that it's all about em- having the right emotions drawn out of the worshiper. Yep. Right. So that he, he has the strength to do the good work that he's supposed to do. Right. Um, I would say. You see, you see this done, right? In 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 the church. I mean, that's a great one. I mean, most of the time, I would say it's not done uh, in Catholic churches. But I think that's more because we're cheap and we refuse to pay musicians well, right? You know, like we're not going to pay a whole <laughs> band, you know. When I beg to differ, <laughs> <laughs> but pay it's top like, dollar for my singers. Um, but like, you know, but I mean, like compared to like these guys who yeah. have like professional lights, you know, sure. like I mean, Bill, sure. you do a great job, but like, you know, you'd have three people under you for Sunday. I have one that's, camera angle. They have yeah. six. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Have, and that's you know. it. That's just a, but why? Why? Because it's not about the mystery that is presented, yeah. but it's about it, making sure that I evoke the correct response, right? We we kind of, I mean, we, we as, as because we, you know, sometimes get a little spirit about it, but because we're right, um, we kind of mock certain high school retreats that are centered around making sure the kids cry, right? And so like, right. that was the goal when we did our retreat, um, for the teens right before or right after Christmas, you know, I'm sure was, you made a lot of kids cry. Yeah. But it just have to raise your voice. <laughs> you know, if you just yell at them in confession, everybody <laughs> cries. No, um, no, but as far as I know, nobody cried. Right. Um, but that wasn't the goal. Like we didn't have, you know, these letters that, that work, you know, and they really do make you cry. Um, but it's like, we don't do these little tricks that, that are all about the emotion. That is part of this move, right. Is to let's make sure the person has it. Uh, not necessarily an experience of God, but just an emotional experience. And then maybe God will appear, right. you know, it's almost second. He becomes secondary. Why not? Because they're thinking God is impersonal. He's not real or anything. It's well, now the, sh- the ground has shifted as to where we can discuss things into. There's no reference st- points from up above, right? It's all, it's all natural. And that, and that this is where it gets dangerous. And then you see it. Avatar. Even, yeah. But, but let's even think of like, um, of where uh, are from for the most not most it's not totally true I, you know I think I think our bishops get a little um, you know thrown under the bus a little bit more than maybe is justified I think we ignore every statement they make until we disagree with it but like I think there's a little bit of like they also 
seem to to be stronger. Maybe they just happen to be better spoken on these things, or they, it gets picked up more when they speak about things that become almost utopian, right? So things like working towards universal health care, working towards ending ending homelessness or positive immigration, all these things that are that are are good. I mean, anybody fight like if you don't want every every person around you to have health care, there's something wrong with you. You know, you can argue about the best way to do that, but if you think not everybody deserves health care, fix yourself right now, right? You're on the wrong side. Um, now, you don't necessarily have to believe that the government has to pay for it and all that stuff. Fine, sure. That's a different discussion, and I don't have the competency right. to say it. But but when the you know when the bishops say it, like they're moving the ground to like where can we discuss things, right? That, that, that there is no, you know, it used to be how do we make man virtuous, right? You know, and, and this is a long time ago. It wasn't always, and it wasn't always well fulfilled. But it was that was what the goal of everything was was to how do we make man truly happy? How do we help him live a virtuous life? How do we have him, you know, eventually get to heaven, whatever that means? That's not part of the discussion anymore. Nobody cares about that. So for four years back, God was limiting man in some ways. Absolutely. So that's the thing is that God in believing in this or for us, like an almighty omnipotence in God would be limiting our potential, so to speak. Yeah. So it's not that he doesn't believe in God, but that whole almighty God, all-powerful God, yeah, yeah. savior of the world, you that's know, just the, what we, the judge of the living and the dead, yeah. that's yeah. limiting a human person. Right. So let's just kind of take that out of the equation. Absolutely. Would you, I mean, would you, would you go so far as saying holding us back? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. because we keep thinking there's something, like, it's worth, and this is where later thinkers probably develop more, but, like, you know, Nietzsche's so good on this, so I don't want to confuse it, people with it, but it's like the whole... I. I'm not living my fullness as a man because I think for the next world, right? Which is how we, which is genuinely how we think as Christians or should think as Christians. Would Feuerbach believe in the afterlife? No. Right. So no heaven or hell. Right. 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 Which he, is, which is deadly. Yeah. It's a deadly oh, way yeah. of thinking. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. But it's so subtle. You see that? Like, like it, and that's a move that, that like is kind of built into America a little bit. Right. Is that there's this deism that's acceptable. Right. Right. And, and so from there, it, but it's fine. It, you know, you, you can start seeing where revelation is impossible, right? Scripture, I mean, saying like scripture says, it only applies to like 25% of the population, probably less at this point, which isn't true 75 years ago. You know, right, that would have probably right. applied to 90% of the American population, right? So this, even though he's he's much older, right? He's 200 years ago. Um, it's still kind of, we're seeing the effects more fully now. Like the, the effects of his writings is to see, you know, where revelation isn't isn't a part of the conversation anymore because revelation implies God showing himself. He doesn't care about us. Why would he show himself? You know, God's not personal like that. All of that other stuff, just ignore it, right? We're working towards utopia. We're working towards man coming to his fullness. What was he try? What was his main, uh, you know, purpose of coming out with this teaching, you think? What was he directing it towards? I mean, he really, I mean, he really believed in the... Um, that man had something greater in store, but it's being held back by, by this false this understanding of God, of God, um, showing himself and, and working towards him who didn't really think that way or, or act that way. Right. Um, so, so could you, could you, it would be over, oversimplifying, um, sort of his philosophy is that, well, if there is no afterlife, there is no all powerful God, there is a creator, but leaves us to do what we want. Let's make the most of it now. Exactly. Live for the moment. Live for the moment. YOLO. YOLO. So YOLO, would, I mean, which became, you know, I mean, yeah. now now you say it, you're old school, but 
that 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 whole expression is you know uh the idea that this is it yeah and that would that would be sort of sort of uh, kind of come from his way of thinking in for some ways yeah and for those listeners older than bill yolo means you only live once <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that for yeah, my people <laughs> which is true but you also live everlasting life exactly. you know exactly exactly so, what else you got, Father Jack? We were going to jump over to Emmanuel. I mean, I think Kant. I think at this point it might be a good time to be talking. Give, <laughs> give Kant the the because this right. is. I mean, he's got to be. I mean, a top five thinker in the world at this point. Right. Um. So. So. Um. Before, how do you say Peter Kreeft's last name correctly? Is it Kreeft or Kreeft? I I think it's Kreeft because I always it's say Kreeft, right? But but yes. it's wrong. Yeah, it's I I always say Kreeft too. That's it's what it looks Kreeft. like. Yeah, so that's yeah, Doctor Kreeft to you, by the way. I'm sorry, Doctor Doctor Kreeft. You know, and um, thanks, Bill. <laughs> you know, he he um, he kind of makes the statement that uh, um, he said few philosophers in history have been so unreadable and dry as <laughs> Immanuel <laughs> Kant. Uh, and he, you know, like you gave me him to study, go back and study. And I tell you, it was just driving me nuts. But he said, but he goes on to say that few have had more of a devastating impact on human thought than Immanuel Kant. Yeah. So this, and my favorite thing, this is my favorite unimportant trivia point on Immanuel Kant is that Germans read Kant in English because he's so confusing in German, right? right. That's how thick of a thinker he is. All right. Well, before we go into his philosophy, I saw some, some kind of funny notes about him. Like, um, one of his greatest uh, devotees was a student who, who read everything his master published, uh, got to his uh, most important uh, work, which is the critique of pure reason. Um, did not finish it because he said that if he were to finish it, we'd have, he would be in a mental hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and many students since have echoed his sentiments. And when I was studying him, I felt like, I need to take some Tylenol because I was getting a headache. Um, another fun fact about him, the citizens of, of where he was born in Germany actually uh, named their dogs after him. Wow. And, uh, they, and, but it, they nicknamed him the Destroyer. That's his nickname. So I think they, there's this, this uh, sort of acknowledgement that his th- thought process was a little bit off. And uh, so his whole, his whole thing kind of, ties in with how we make ethical decisions, you know, uh, you know, what, how do you know something is morally good or evil, whether an action is right or wrong. And, um, what's the term again, that in philosophy was his, his famous, uh, uh, categorical imperative, categorical imperative. Okay. So, you know, kind of looking at this, you know, there's, you know, that there's different ways of that people have looked, I mean, we have our Christian way mm-hmm. of looking at, a moral action, but let's just take the secular world and how they, a lot of people would look at the consequences of an action mm-hmm. as being whether or not it's right or wrong. Now as Christians, we don't necessarily agree with that. Right. We don't look at an action according to the consequences of what happens because that's how, and, you know, which we call consequentialism, right. which uh, John Paul II shot down. And, you know, a lot of people make their decisions according to how the end product of what I do, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then there's a, um, the then you can some people just look at the act alone, which is the action alone would determine like it's just predetermined the action alone whether consequences or intention all this, and then as you were saying last night in your class, there's like three parts of the human action from a Christian point of view, which is the action we look at the action, mm-hmm. the intention and the circumstances yeah. right, so Immanuel Kant you know kind of was looking at you know. Uh, how do we ma- look at, you know, actions, whether they're right or wrong? 
and he came, say it again, categorical, categorical imperative, imperative. Yeah. Uh, which there's three basic principles in which he would state that we look at an action, whether or not it's wrong. And maybe you can help me tie into how this maybe influences people today. Mm. But the first, the first principle is that all actions have to be universally accepted by everyone. So in other words, if you're going to do something, the, the, like this, the, the, the starting point would be that everyone else would be considered what you're doing would kind of follow suit. Okay. So that's like, there's a universality to it. Now, in some ways, in some ways in our Catholic tradition, there is some truth to that because, well, whether people, there are things that we teach as Catholics that no matter what the circumstances, they're always wrong. Right. Right. So there's some truth there. Right. Okay. But he's looking at that. Everyone would kind of universally agree with this to some degrees or would come to that knowledge. But, or, but notice, ahead. notice the difference in, in how you got to that inherent evil or the intrinsic evil, right? Is that, is that for Kant, everybody agrees with it. Yes. Not everybody recognizes you know, the revelation, right? That there is an objective fact. Well, that's the point is you yes. would not, you would not come to that knowledge through revelation. Exactly. It's more like every person internally mm-hmm. would come to this knowledge. So it's, it's, it's not majority voting. It's unanimous voting on, on an, on an ethical issue. Right. So that's, that's the first, I mean, I think we can, let's just table that, but that's mm-hmm. the first yeah. principle. Number two, um, the, the second principle is that every human being has to be treated as an end and not a means to an end. Okay. Which once again, I mean, there, therein lies, uh, you know, some truth, like even John Paul II would say the end of, of, uh, the, the, um, sort of the, um, you know, the opposite of hate or the opposite of love. I'm sorry. The opposite of love would be to use a person. So, I mean, we are not as Christians. We're not about using people. We get that, but you know, he's, but he's looking at every human being has to be treated as an end and not a, a means to an end. And, um, and then the last thing he would say is that this is where it gets really dangerous is when you're making an action or when you're making your, your moral decisions, you behave as if you are the absolute moral authority of the universe. So in other words, like the truth comes from myself mm-hmm. and that's this, this truth is coming from me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of where this, this absolute autonomy, you know, this sort of freedom from this God that would, you know, predetermine uh, what is good or, or, or right or wrong uh, would be very dangerous. This is where subjectivism comes in, mm-hmm. where the person determines morality, but the morality is not outside of myself, mm-hmm. right? A little bit like Feuerbach to some degree, yeah. you know, and this is where we, I mean, this is, I mean, I think where he really put a dagger into uh, moral decision making is that the human person becomes the decision maker on whether something is right or wrong. Mm. Now, I was kind of thinking about this, you know. I, now, I had a, I had a, um, uh, you know, some uh, he used he was using an example about kind of ex- maybe explain this a little bit with a particular issue, um, and it, it came it came down to lying. Mm-hmm. So let's say like, let's say um, a person decided that lying should be acceptable, all right? Using his train of thought. Mm-hmm. Number one, we should, um, that, that if he, if he said this, then everyone would be permitted to lie. 
So that would be the first thing. So if I lie, then everyone else should be able to lie, okay, in order to get what I want. Number two, um, yeah, the second part would be um, is that if we were to lie, it's because we would be following that rule that it's permissible lie and everyone else can do it, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a little bit like a majority rule, you know, and then thirdly, um, um, well, then he goes on to say that, um, you know, the third part is, is it, it, it could maybe it would apply or not apply. But it says this rule could not be adopted universally because it would be self-defeating. People would stop believing one another. Therefore, sh someone should not lie would be the reason you would say it's wrong right. like, to lie. And and so that's where, and this is like where this, you know, you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, I thought we don't like lying, right? I thought that was against the eighth commandment, you know? And so it sounds like this, this fits in the Christian understanding. Maybe you got from it from a weird point of view, but it doesn't. But here's the thing is that because we've, rejected one of these fonts of morality, right? The the object itself, the intention or the circumstance. What happens when difficult moral situations really come up, right? So you can never lie, ever. That's now, the truth. Until 1944, you're in Germany, somebody knocks on your door and says, is there any Jews in the house? Now what do you do? Do you have any justification for lying? I know, right? but I've heard different variations. I this. know that's a very that's actually a very big, uh, complicated moral well, issue. So, all right, but let's take let's take another one. Okay, right, stealing. Mm -hmm. Okay, thou shalt not steal. Mm -hmm. Okay, so even in the Catechism, it states that there is a condition where quote unquote stealing would be permissible. All right, hear right. me out. Okay, right. before everyone says Father said it's okay to steal, if uh, mm -hmm. someone was not was not given the opportunity to receive the needs they. Like was someone refused them their needs. So like, say someone, you, someone came to my front door, asked me for, they were going to starve to death. I refused to help them when I could have, right. I had an apple pie sitting on my, on my, uh, yeah. you know, outside the window. I closed the door on them. They go around, take the apple pie to survive. They would not be culpable for sin in that situation. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and yeah. that's, and that's the thing is that like, like Kant really doesn't, um, you know, the, the categorical imperative sounds pretty logical until it, it actually meets the real world, right? There's there's a disconnect between how a human actually acts and how this rationality, you know, he, he lays out, right? And and that sounds fine, right? Like, like, oh, well, isn't that a lot of philosophy? Well, kind of. Bad philosophy does that. But, like, the church doesn't, right? Because, because we know that God is one truth, right? So that when he reveals himself, we know that he has, you know, um, a plan in mind. Because certain, and I will say this, there are a lot of theologians that still hold this kind of idealism that it doesn't actually match up. And and including some, uh, some very important bishops who will say things along the lines of there is morality that we have and that Christian morality is true and it's hold, but it actually is so idealized that it doesn't apply to the actual human condition. Yes, which isn't true. True, and there's and there's a, a lot of its roots, not all of it, and it's not directly right. So we got to remember this. Is sometimes we're talking about these guys as if it's their fault, and it is, but uh, but it's our problem, right? And there are theologians who come after Kant who try to use his philosophical system to do theology. So Karl Rahner is the biggest name, right? You ever Karl Rahner is like the exact theological <laughs> other end to. Right. to I always like, throw his books out. Yeah, because it's well. First off, you should. Those books out because they're impossible to read. I don't understand anything. Like it's it's the same principle. Anyway. All right, give me an example where Ron, uh, Carl Rahner would use Immanuel Kant to make a theological point, especially with morality. Oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if okay, I can well, so do it, but, but, in, but in general, he would he would have the same 
problem with the um, historical development of dogma, right? And how, how dogma can remain true throughout the ages that Kant would have, right? Based on his, the way that Kant thinks, because of his rationality, because it is so subjectivized, right? Just as we got to morality, because we got to morality, Right. It wasn't an objective fact outside of us, but rather because we internalized it and then agreed. You see right. that he thinks all truth is that way. Like can't we, it's easiest to see immorality. And that's why it's good that you brought that up. But that for the rest of, of how Kant thinks, it's the same way. Rahner tries to do that with theology. Right. Rahner himself, I believe, from what I understood, um, both from classes and, and reading his stuff as much as I could, was actually faithful, like was really trying hard to do a good project, but the 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 foundations of his thought lead to a certain relativizing, subjectivizing problem. Right, and I think it, tying in with uh, Feuerbach is the where where this really destroys Christian understanding of morality is that he would argue, Emmanuel Kant would argue that the um, that man kind of needs similar to what you were saying about Feuerbach that man uh needs to be set free from this mm-hmm. from a, a, this god that puts morality upon him mm-hmm. uh and that that we he would say that the that god does exist mm-hmm. but he would say what what is right or wrong or morality comes from the person and not from god mm-hmm. which destroys basically Christian theology, a Christian moral ethics, mm-hmm. because truth comes from Jesus Christ. Right. right. God determines what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. So it kind of undermines the whole system is that if we don't have God at the center of the universe right. and man becomes the center of decision-making, yep. then everything falls apart. Yep. And there's this ultimate subjectivity. Yeah. Now, the other thing I thought that was interesting uh, in his belief is that um, he he denied that there would, that, that you could, uh, that we could know for sure that now you believe this, but you can't prove that there's God free will and immortality. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he, he would say like, yeah, these things exist, but you can't prove it. Right. And this is where Christian revelation helps. We know because God told us. Mm -hmm. And so this is why revelation is so important, but, but he would, but he also would believe that um, that there is an afterlife because if we didn't believe in that, um, we wouldn't do it. Yeah. So he understands he understands the importance of of there's being an afterlife, right? As sort of mo- a motive, yeah. to doing the right thing. So Immanuel Kant took it to, and this is this is where the two thinkers we're thinking of are very different from each other, right? Right? Is Feuerbach was was very much an atheist, humanistic. Kant was not. He was he was very much a theist. He did think that God cared what we did. He he may not have had exactly a Catholic understanding of the world or, or dogma and all that kind of stuff, but he 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 did really think he could fix, like tweak the thinkers that came before him. And just make it a theistic, you know, humanism, right? Like that the morality would be, like all these things would work if it was just a couple of small changes, right? Which is kind of a fool's errand. Like you really have to, the the system of, of Christian theology is is a whole, right? And so um, it, it is good to kind of mark that very clearly that like there's a huge difference in these two guys. And I, and I think too, kind of tying with last podcast, um, Immanuel Kant would kind of be a little bit of a father of Hume, where it's to some degree, and any kind, degree, yeah. to some degree, where 
you got to be able to see it with your senses. Yeah. And so he's like, if I can't prove this empirically, I can't see it or touch it. You can't say for sure. And then right. he would say, he wouldn't say like God exists because it's true. He'd say because it's helpful. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of Christians that are kind of like, they're not convicted in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there might be. And, you know, just, I'll just hedge my bets. Right. Well, Pascal's <laughs> wager, right? You know, right. Is a real- yeah. I'll hedge my bets just in case yeah. then I might go to confession or I'll call this a sin, you know, like. If it's true, I and, and maybe there's a little bit of, we can see the influence of Kant there where, you know, I wonder if people do things because they're motivated by this. As Christians, we're motivated mm-hmm. out of the love of God and we want to have eternal beatitude, mm-hmm. eternal happiness. I mean, at least that's... That's what we ought to be. We yeah. ought to be. I mean, I, I, mean yeah. I try to get up in the morning and do that. You know, after this life, I, you know, I get to, you know, be in, in perfect happiness. I, I would hope everyone would want that. We're made for that. But... For someone like Kant, what would be the motivation hmm. to do the right thing? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it kind of destroys. And that's the problem with this type of thinking. If there is this this sort of distant God that doesn't care about me, well, there might be an afterlife. But, you know, heck, you know, I make up my own reality. I mean. Well, and see, see, but the thing is, like, everybody, this is what I think kind of gets lost in it is that, Everybody at that point pretty much agreed Christian morality led to a happy life on this earth, right? And then heaven was kind of like a, the, the cherry on top, you know? Right. Um, I mean, a really an eternal cherry on top. But, you know, you get what I'm saying, that it was worth living a good life now. That's not true anymore. Well, Feuerbach would hate that statement I just said. Yeah. He, yeah. Like, if I said, well, if, if, if Lu- Ludwig, 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 Ludwig Feuerbach. Yeah. I don't even speak Ludwig. German. It's just listen, fun to say. Listen, beer man, I got to... <laughs> All right, so like if he were, if I said, you know, if he asked me, like he was on the podcast and Ludwig would say, well, why do you do what you do? I was like, wow, I mean, I kind of hope that I go to heaven after this life and that's what gives me meaning. He's he would like, fight you. He would fight me. He would win because yeah. he's German, stronger <laughs> than you. Swink. <laughs> 60 Welsh. push-ups in a minute. There's, yeah. no way, there's no way Ludwig, he had, he had spaghetti arms. All right, anyway. You met a Bavarian? <laughs> Those, they're, they're big stock, man. You know, I'll, I'll, sudden I'll go head to head with Ludwig. <laughs> some pretzels. Do you understand how how intellectual we were, and we fell into? So, could I take Ludwig Feuerbach in a fight? <laughs> this is how you know it's three men in a room talking. You know, because <laughs> because we turn to fights real quick. That will solve our differences. All right, so Father, yes, Jack, um, kind of tying these two two thinkers together. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you give us like? paragraph or just like summation of you know where where um these thinkers went wrong and like how will we address it with our christian faith yeah so i mean Feuerbach had you know has a a very utopian vision of of earth that we actually have a, a chance of making man perfect right now in the moment we don't have to worry about the future we need to stop fighting for the future, and we need to do everything we can in our power to fix the earth and mankind. And if we all put our effort into that, it'll happen, right? So there's that's that's the start of Feuerbach. Is he really does believe that humanity is is something worth fighting for? So in a sense, it's good, but and that's it, where communism comes from. Oh yeah, you're very astute, very astute. That Marx jumps all over Feuerbach, right? Um, and Engel. Um, that that that's where. Yeah, that's where communism is, is you know, jumps on it. Um, but, you know, it also just rejects sin. You know, it rejects 
concupiscence. It rejects the imperfections of man that as if he will all of a sudden, if he just says I'm good, that I'll stop being tempted and I'll stop sinning and I'll stop hurting other people and re- recognizing that even my most private of sins actually hurts the entire body. Right. right. That's where the Christian faith changed it. For Kant, Kant really, um, I think it was just a little, his was closer to being short-sighted, right? He really thought he could tweak a system and have everything go back to normal, right? Let me let me just give this six inches of empiricism and saying that I don't know what the afterlife is like or that God exists, and I can just make that a category of faith and, and that we can't really discuss it in the same way. Um, you know, so natural theology is no longer an option, right? We can't talk about the proofs of God or the ontological argument. Like, those things are just non-existent anymore, um, so, so we're going to just put those in a side box and we'll just talk about all these other things, right? And we'll all live a happy life and everyone will remain Christian, even though we don't necessarily agree on what Christianity is anymore, right? It's a very Protestant understanding of the faith. Um, that, and that becomes problematic is once you cede the ground to this and once you allow it to have some light, then those false ideologies start to grow, right? It really starts to blossom. Right, this un, this Feuerbachian, um, you know, utopianism starts to grow, right, and it grows into um, worse guys, right, because because in you know, I mean, you gotta think, eighteen hundred in Europe, I mean, everybody's Christian. They might not all be Catholic, but everyone at least believes very strongly that Jesus Christ is real and that. God will send people to hell, usually your enemies, but he still believes that, you know, you're going to send people to hell. So they were, people were, for the most part, and in large swaths, they were good. Right? Not to say nobody was a sinner. Don't, don't misquote me. Don't. Well, I think the difference would be back then, if they were sinning, they knew they were sinning. Right. They, they, they didn't just, they didn't sort of rationalize it like everyone does today. Right. So, all right, here's a question. All, all right. right. So, Immanuel Kant, mm-hmm. um, would he say, I mean, it, we, I don't, let's say this, if, He's teaching moral theology, mm-hmm. and all right, how would he prove, or could he say, that adultery is wrong? And if so, mm. how? And then, what's the difference between the Christian way of explaining that versus Immanuel Kant? Well, I mean, Immanuel Kant, right? The categorical imperative says that we cannot do this action, right? Right. So we've decided that that it, because it will harm everyone if everybody does it. Right. So if everybody's allowed to commit adultery then uh, marriage falls apart. Right. Right. Um, so we can't do that. Right. Now, Christianity says, well, 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 no, there's a goodness to the act and the perversion of that act right. would would be harmful, not just to everybody because we all agree it would be harmful to us. That's a, kind of an emotional response because it's, it's actually just bad. Like it's a perversion of a good thing. This is an active gift. Right. Right. That the, the sexual act in marriage is an actively good thing. And to change that, to pervert it, right? Just like our, you know, uh, like that, that is in and of itself is enough to say we should avoid it. That right. we have an, an act of good we should be working towards, a beatitude, if you will. Right. Which name, in the end, is God. Um, but also, it's been revealed to us by God. Of course. Yeah. About the faithfulness of the marriage vow. Right. And, and, but even, and then, but we, and up until very recently, we could talk about the natural law. Right? right, and and that, that man was, and women were made for monogamy. Exactly, and and that was a common ground basis of understanding. Which now you can't you can't necessarily do that with revelation, but you can with okay. So whereas Kant would not agree with natural law in the same way. In the same way. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, and so the other thing too, which which struck me is like, all right, for Immanuel Kant, if not everyone agrees on something, you can't make it a universal law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but there's no one. But today, right. his philosophy wouldn't hold, right? Yeah, unless everyone agreed to it. So, mm-hmm. therefore, if you think about today, what's the only mortal sin? Smoking. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty right. Much. I mean, if you think, I mean, we're cussing. Yeah. Like everyone agreed, you shouldn't no, you, cuss. You can cuss. You can cuss somewhere. But I mean, this is this is. Do you see the problem here? Yeah. Is that we're trying to see how Kant yeah. influences today. Well, people say, well, you know, I mean, with, you know, certain moral issues, I mean, contraception, we want Also, open. you now need to uh, uh, you know, put a little asterisk next to smoking because it's actually just smoking tobacco is the only, is the only <laughs> sin, <laughs> right. you know, right? Like, I right, mean, right, right. I mean, how crazy is that, right? right? This is actually becoming, this is, sorry, this is an aside, wildly unimportant, but doctors are now struggling because they put, do you smoke? And most guys, most people say no. And then they find out that they've been smoking, smoking marijuana, marijuana every day. And they're like, you know, that's worse for you, right? Stop doing that. No, right? but, but but everyone in the universe but, agrees it's okay. But but no, but no, tobacco's the bad one, right? right. Like Ex- I know that exactly. That, see, this is now this is where I think Emmanuel Kant influences today. Yeah. So you know, and that's and we joke about this as priests mm-hmm. is that uh, in terms of getting everyone to agree on a moral issue, yeah, you're never gonna get there. You're never gonna get there. Right. And people say, well, I don't think it's wrong. Yeah. And so things that the that revelation and God have always said are wrong. People are like, well, that's that's your that's your truth. Even your truth. It's your truth, right? And but there are certain things. It just comes into like a cultural thing, mm-hmm. where a smoking inside is the worst thing you could possibly do. Everyone agrees, but at the same time, you know, yeah, certain things that we would say are seriously sinful. Like that's that's not universally true, mm-hmm. and that's an effect of Immanuel Kant. Yeah, yeah, and also that God's not the reference point of morality, but the human person. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, yeah. it's good to know this. Once you, I think it. Should set you free. Yeah. So, what are we gonna do next week? I think we're gonna talk about Marx and Nietzsche, which are two. I mean, these are all right. Which one are you gonna? Which are you gonna give me? We're, we're gonna. Uh, well, I feel like you like Nietzsche. I do like Nietzsche. I feel like I gotta take him. I all right. Really got to. All right. Well, you know, I'll take. I'll take. Uh, Doing a paper rock scissors take, after the show. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do a little, uh, paper. Let's do it right now. Because because it's I want uh, Nietzsche. Of course you want Nietzsche. Just You're so you... selfish. <laughs> all right. Ready. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. One, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. Oh! <laughs> All right. That's a win. All right. Father Jack has Nietzsche. I have... Friedrich. Karl Marx. Karl Marx. Next week. I'll bring you pretzels and beer. All right. I'll hold you to it. And a four buck. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's pray. Our help is in the name of the Lord. May it have an earth. May the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.